You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Welcome to the 1,926th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 27th of April 2023. The editor of this edition is Liz Roberts. The producer is Colin Holmes and your readers are Jill Gain and Nick Gain. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Martin smashes world record in tribute to brother. An emu sing, escape. Ambulance hub proposals are of public benefit. Queen's canopy project ends with a million trees planted. A Suffolk man has smashed a Guinness world record after completing the London Marathon in memory of his brother. Martin Gear of Newmarket completed the London Marathon on Sunday dressed as an air ambulance after crews helped his brother following a crash last year. Mr Gear said, It was amazing, especially for the air ambulance, because it's very close to heart, because last year my brother came off his motorbike and they were one of the first on scene. Sadly, he passed away two weeks later, so the run was in memory of him. The time to beat for the fastest marathon dressed as a three-dimensional aircraft for a man was four hours and 23 minutes. And Mr Gear completed it in four hours and three minutes. He said during his seventh London marathon, his wife FaceTimed him to say that he needed to speed up to make sure he would beat the world record. As soon as I went over the line, I found out, Mr Gear said. They are there to greet you at the start to check all the costumes. Once it is on, it is not allowed to come off, not even for the toilet. At the finish line, they check the costume and take a picture with you holding the certificate. During the race, Mr Gear stopped eight times to have a drink, and it was the first time he wore the costume. I didn't train in it, and the heat was unbelievable, he added. It's the most incredible day, and you would not get the times you do if it wasn't for the crowd. All the way round, the communities are out with their sound speakers and children are giving you sweets. It's just amazing. Mr Gear said he had retired from running the London Marathon, but signed up again three years ago following the death of his mum. Mr Gear has raised over £6,600 for the East Anglian Air Ambulance. A runaway emu sparked a five-hour search and rescue mission after it jumped a fence and ran a mile from its home, with the RSPCA and police joining the operation. Rodney, the 11-month-old pet emu, jumped the fence at his home in Chebra near Bury St Edmunds in the middle of the night on Thursday, April 13th. Owner John Cardy, 54, was forced to cut short his first holiday in years after the flightless bird escaped to go on an adventure of his own. John and his wife Laura were taking their first holiday since the pandemic when they received a call from their pet sitter at 6.30am saying Rodney was missing. Without hesitation, John jumped in his car and drove back from Northamptonshire to look for the fugitive bird with the help of the RSPCA, RSPB and the police. 
At around 11.30am, he received a message on a community WhatsApp group asking if someone had lost their bird, which he instantly recognised as Rodney. He found Rodney, who had managed to make it about a mile away from home, and coaxed him to the car with some tempting treats. John said, I put some of his favourite food down on the ground in front of me and he came to be without too much difficulty. He came over and he let me put my arms round his neck and cuddle him and stroke him and I managed to get him home. I think what happened was that there was a storm here on Wednesday night and he got spooked and must have hurdled over one of the fences. He was definitely here on Wednesday evening when our friend shut everything up and put all the animals to bed. But when she turned up early on Thursday morning, he was not. So at some point in the night, he went on an adventure. He has on occasion escaped before and gone on adventures, but not quite that far, and we found him pretty quickly. This one was a bit more worrying. John and Laura took in Rodney when he was just two weeks old, and he grew up in their kitchen, moving outdoors when he got older. The couple's house is full of other animals, including pigs, dogs, geese, a two-legged cat, a tortoise and lots of rabbits. Many of their pets are used as therapy animals for people who are struggling with their mental health. Revised plans for a multi-million pound ambulance hub are set for approval due to the public benefit. The depot at Suffolk Park, on the outskirts of Berries and Edmonds, will act as a base for clinical staff to start and finish work and have training and provide office rooms as well as a workshop to maintain and repair ambulances. Plans for the facility and an access road were approved by the then St Edmundsbury Borough Council in 2019, but the permission has since lapsed and fresh approval has been sought, with minor changes. West Suffolk Council's Development Control Committee, which meets on Wednesday, has been recommended to approve the proposal although it was noted that the use does not fall within the site's planning allocation. Earlier this year, the Berry Free Press received a letter from whistleblowing paramedics who were worried the hub could place them at risk of burnout due to fears all outgoing stations would shut in West Suffolk and cause major delays in reaching rural areas. In response, the East of England Ambulance Service said rural parts of the area would have specifically designated and strategic placed response posts, which will be covered from the main hub to improve response times. In consultation to the plans, Berry St Edmunds MP Jo Churchill said she supported the new hub. Providing for improved access to the A14 and improving response times for service users, both rurally and within the town, is of paramount importance for residents of Suffolk particularly within our growing community, she said. In November, the Ambulance Service said the hub, due to open by summer 2024, would cost between £7 and £10 million and be the first of a number of new stations to provide modern facilities. West Suffolk Council's economic development team said Berry had experienced significant growth since the development of the Ambulance Service facility in Brooklands Close. Providing first-class healthcare services and highly skilled specialist employment in Berries and Edmonds is important, not only for the health of the local community, but to support the continued growth of the whole of West Suffolk, they said. In their report to the committee, officers said that significant weights could be attached to the proposed use given the public benefit attributed to it. 
More than one million trees have been planted across the county by Suffolk's tree force over the course of the last three years. As the Queen's green canopy in Suffolk draws to a close after more than 1,000 days of work, a number of projects have blossomed. It started in 2019 with an ambitious target to plant a tree or hedge shrub for every citizen of Suffolk, approximately 760,500. Clare, Countess of Euston, the Lord Lieutenant, decided it was something anyone could do if given the right support and all in honour of a much-loved and respected sovereign approaching her platinum jubilee. The canopy has exceeded that with a total of 1,019,600 plantings and preservations at the end of the three-year project. Diana Hunt, chairperson of the project, said, This amazing result has been achieved through the hard work, dedication and commitment of the professionals, organisations and volunteers working in partnership for the benefit of their own communities and the wider population. The right trees have been planted in the right places and will be nurtured so that not only this, but future generations will benefit from more green spaces and enhanced habitats. The launch of the canopy began with a visit from the Countess of Wessex at Trinity Park. Beside those being thanked were three oaks grown in Suffolk by local tree wardens, which will be the last trees in Suffolk to have been registered as part of the canopy, and in the autumn will be planted in three population centres, Christchurch Park, Ipswich, Carlton Marshes near Lowestoft and Nowton Park, Bury St Edmunds. The pandemic made that idea problematic, said Robert Rouse, Vice Lord Lieutenant, so it's very pleasing that Her Royal Highness the Duchess of Edinburgh attended the school's farm and country fair at Trinity Park on Thursday and was able to thank the team for the amazing work that they have done. New planting initiatives have grown from the canopy, including the development of the tree nurses through the Tree Warden Network and its native Black Poplar project. We collect seeds and distribute the resulting saplings throughout the county, says Fee Morris, from the Suffolk Tree Warden Network. We also grow from cuttings and graft fruit trees, especially heritage species, for those who want them. A flowering cherry tree park has been started in the Jubilee Meadow at Great Glemham by Jason Gaythorne Hardy. Ipswich also achieved Tree City of the World status twice. Members remain committed, now is the time to make plans for years to come, now the canopy has drawn to a close. The Queen's Green Canopy in Suffolk is proud of what it has achieved, added Mrs Hunt, but is only too aware that there is much more to be done in response to the County Council's call to arms in the face of the climate emergency it declared in 2019 and its aim for Suffolk to be carbon neutral by 2030. Hundreds of postal voters in Stowmarket have been sent second ballot papers for their town council elections after mistaking the first mail shot. It is the latest problem to be set mid Suffolk's Electoral Services Department after a series of issues which has prompted a major investigation. The councils were late in publishing their council nominations last month and the initial publication had mistakes in some district wards. In Stowthorny District Ward, only the Green Party candidate was initially listed for the marginal seat, but it later emerged there was a Conservative candidate too. There was also confusion about the number of candidates in another ward, and when the, when the list of town and parish council nominees was published, many were shown as standing for the wrong party. The Electoral Commission has already been told about the earlier problems, 
and is expected to be consulted about an investigation the council is carrying out into the problems. A spokesman for Baber and Mid-Suffolk Council said, Unfortunately, the original ballot paper sent on April 21st to the 625 postal voters for Stowmarket Town Council's Stow Thorny Ward incorrectly asked them to vote for up to two instead of up to four candidates. We have taken immediate action to address this and new ballot papers are being issued today to those postal voters along with a letter explaining the error so they can cast up to four votes. Anyone from that ward who had already returned their postal votes will also be personally contacted to explain their original ballot paper is void and they need to use the new yellow ballot paper. This does not affect any other voters and is only relevant to the postal voters for the Stowe Market Town Council, Stowe Thorny Ward. It does not affect any other postal votes and will not affect anyone voting in a polling station on May the 4th. We are sorry for the confusion caused to those postal voters and to the candidates standing in the Stowmarket Town Council, Stowe Thorny Ward. A 95-year-old woman has celebrated the launch of a new book about her memories of a village she's lived in all her life. Joan Orbell from Risby marked the release of Risby Remembered with a large social gathering to honour the special occasion. Many people attended the event, including friends and family and people from the surrounding area, as well as a special surprise appearance from Joan's 97-year-old sister, which made her feel absolutely delighted. She said, Well, I felt very good about the book, but I didn't think it was going to snowball as much as this, though, as I didn't think too many people would read it. But I'm very pleased with what has come about from it, and it has given me a lot of pleasure this afternoon seeing so many people come and turn up. It's very exciting. My sister Cicely coming down all the way from the Midlands is a really nice surprise as well. I had no idea they were coming, so that really is wonderful for me. Joan began writing Risby Remembered around six months ago after she entertained friends and members of the village's coffee club with stories about the area in the 1930s and was told to write down her recollections before they were lost. I'm very grateful to the coffee club for their encouragement to write down my memories, Joan said. I'm also very grateful to Chris Allison, who has been very good, as he did all the writing for me. Without his help in typing up and editing my words, this book could not have been published. Joan also expressed her thanks to local printer Profile Business Supplies and Leslie Langley for helping prepare the script. All proceeds from the sale of the book are to be donated to St Giles Church in Risby, with chapters including Memories from Joan's Childhood, The Two World Wars and a murder in the village. The large gathering was at the house of Joan's friend, Patricia House, who she has known for 30 years since moving to the village. Joan's sister Cicely, who travelled down from Redditch with her daughter Penny for the afternoon, said she was delighted with her younger sister and her book. She said, we're so very proud of her and she's coping so well. To think she's done this at 95 years old is honestly awesome and her memory is fantastic too. For a little village like this, the turnout is absolutely brilliant and it's just a wonderful occasion. There are calls for drivers to be extra vigilant and for new signage to be installed after ducks have reportedly been knocked over and killed on an estate. 
In recent weeks, it is believed at least three ducks have died in the area of Simmons Road, Morton Hall, Berries and Edmonds, near the pub and pond. Now with ducklings starting to hatch, the call for drivers to be aware is even more urgent. Berry resident Kia Mosley, 23, whose partner lives on the estate, is urging drivers to be vigilant and also contacted Suffolk County Council about installing new road signs along Simmons Road to make drivers aware that the ducks cross the road frequently. While there are traffic calming measures along the road, he said some people viewed it more as a racetrack. In his email to the council, he wrote, I have seen recently two ducks that have been struck by cars. The main worry is the newborn ducklings that will soon be wandering around the road as well. Andy Ellis, 55, who has lived in Serbet Road off Simmons Road for 18 years, is also urging drivers to be vigilant and supports the push for new signage. He had already posted on the local Facebook group urging for all road users to be aware, as the ducks were now becoming regular visitors to Seabit Road and also Heldhaw Road, before he learnt of the deaths. He said, It was very sad. I thought they have no voice but ours. If we don't look after the ducks, who's going to? A spokesperson for Suffolk Highways said, Requests for new signage needs to be raised directly with the local borough, parish or town council. The request can then can then be raised with appropriate officer at Suffolk Highways or County Council to access. Mr Ellis, a former driving instructor, believes there is a problem of speeding drivers in Simmons Road, although Suffolk Constabulary said they were not aware of any significant and regular speeding issues. Mr Ellis is keen to get a community speed watch scheme going throughout Morton Hall, something police would be happy to support. Food provided to patients at West Suffolk Hospital has been rated amongst the worst in England in an NHS survey. West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, which also runs Newmarket Hospital, was ranked the fourth worst in the patient-led assessments of the care environment, which were carried out in October 2022. Craig Black, Executive Director of the Trust, said, We are disappointed by our results and we apologise to any patients who did not receive the quality of service they deserved. He continued, We know that being in hospital is difficult for patients and their families, and we are committed to doing everything we can to make their stay as comfortable as possible. On the day of the assessment, we were under significant pressure, which meant some patients did not receive their food as quickly as we would have liked. While we have been noticed as an exemplar in the standard of food we provide, we know that during periods of significant pressure, we need to do better in delivering it. The food at West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust was given a 74.56% satisfaction rating. A historic bridge could be in danger of collapse due to delays in repair, it has been claimed. Ben Lord, Chair of Ixworth and Ixworth Thorpe Parish Council, has called on Suffolk County Council to urgently rethink repair plans for Hemp Yard Bridge, which have been postponed until 2024. The Parish Council has been lobbying the County Council to repair the bridge after a crack appeared, leading to erosion into the River Blackbourne. Suffolk County Council, however, has said the condition of the bridge, which is accessed via Commissioner Lane, and has associated listings as part of the Grade 1 Ixworth Abbey, has not changed significantly in the past few years, 
and other bridge and footpath work has priority. Councillor Lord said the County Council's inspections suggest there is no significant change to the bridge's condition, yet it can be clearly seen how chunks of the bridge are eroding into the river. This latest delay will seriously risk Hempyard Bridge avoidably collapsing into the river, resulting in the closure of the only bridleway in our village that is fundamental to our footpath network. We insist that Suffolk County Council urgently reviews its position as it appears the promised funding allocated is now being diverted elsewhere. Costs of repairing the bridge increased from around £100,000 in 2015 to £250,000 by 2021. Funding and planning consent to repair the bridge was first granted in early 2022, with work due to start the same year. The spokesman for Suffolk County Council said the repair works were programmed to be completed in summer 2023. Whilst the bridge is in poor condition, it remains open with a temporary structure in place to keep the public away from the areas of most concern. The bridge is subject to monthly safety inspections to monitor any significant change in condition. It continues to slowly degenerate, however, there has been no significant change in condition over the past few years. Due to a reprioritization of other work related to bridge repairs and footpath closures in the county and a change in primary highways contractors in October 23, the works at Hemp Yard are now scheduled for summer 2024. A Suffolk-based music development director has composed an arrangement of the hymn Crown Him With Many Crowns, which will be performed at the Coronation Prom at the Royal Albert Hall. Richard Hubbard is a music teacher and lecturer who also works for the Diocese of St Edmundsbury in Ipswich, as well as St Edmundsbury Cathedral. His arrangement has been described as a sparkling tour de force, with scintillating woodwind, energetic strings and colourful percussion, punctuated by brass fanfares, befitting a royal occasion plus, of course, the enormous Albert Hall organ. It will be performed on Coronation Day, Saturday May the 6th, at the Royal Albert Hall, which is set to be filled with 5,000 people for the Coronation Prom, a celebration of the King of Kings, with a 120-piece All Souls Orchestra and 320-voice choir. Mr Hubbard said, It's a great honour to have my arrangement played at the Royal Albert Hall on this once-in-a-generation occasion. My aim has been to make the orchestration highlight the words, to bring them to life in a new way that will inspire people to worship as they sing. Young people took to the skies above Bresnemans and surrounding villages for an exhilarating flight experience last Tuesday. Skyward Flight Training at Ruffham Airfield was pleased to host 22 air cadets aged 13 to 17 for a flight experience. Each was given the opportunity to control the aircraft under an instructor's guidance during a 20-minute flight. Each of the flights also had an accompanying adult, some of whom had also never flown before. Skyward Flight Training is set to leave its Ruffham Airfield base at the end of May after it and other organisations which use the airfield were given notice to leave the site. The flight school has been based at the airfield since 2014. 
a man who admitted supergluing locks on properties in Bury St Edmunds Town Centre, has received a community order. Giancarlo Rossetti, 61, appeared before Suffolk Magistrates Court last Thursday. The defendant of Northgate Street, Bury St Edmunds, previously pleaded guilty to four counts of criminal damage over incidents in which he superglued the locks of town centre shops and businesses, causing thousands of pounds of damage. Magistrates also took ten further offences into account for sentencing. The incidents took place between August and November last year. Rossetti also vandalised West Suffolk Council-operated pay-and-display machines, damaging one on August the 15th and destroying another in early November. The court previously heard that the damage he caused was estimated to have cost the targeted businesses thousands of pounds. Mark Thompson, defending, acknowledged his client had an interest in anti-government protest, but attributed his actions to mental health difficulties. He noted Rossetti had since sought to make amends and has so far saved around £800 towards compensation payments. These factors were taken into account by magistrates when passing sentence. Rossetti has been ordered to pay Beaver £200 and West Suffolk Council £1,000. In addition, he has been handed an 18-month community order, including a mental health treatment requirement, four-month alcohol abstinence monitoring and 45-day rehabilitation activity requirement. More than 100 residents attended a free community event at Needham Lake, which focused on travelling more sustainably to improve health, well-being and support the environment. The Saturday event showcased electric bikes, balance bikes for children and cycle-powered games, including a bike-powered blender to make smoothies. The event was delivered by Suffolk County Council's Way to Go Suffolk team and Mid-Suffolk's District Council. Nicola Fowler, Active Travel Officer for Suffolk County Council, said, It was absolutely brilliant. We really want to encourage cycling and walking in the area. Children were using the balance bikes all day long and the smoothie bike was so busy I was covered in smoothie. Loads of people have trials on electric bikes too, which is really great to see. Bury St Edmunds is brought to vivid life in a new book by an author who went to school in the town. Kate Sawyer, 42, whose first novel, The Stranding, was Costa shortlisted, admits her second offering, This Family, was informed by her childhood in Barrow. While Kate has not named Berry or Barrow in her novel, she said readers would probably recognise elements of the town and surrounding villages including descriptions of the berry markets of the 1980s and 1990s when the livestock cattle market was still open. This family is set in a Suffolk garden over one summer's day with four generations of a fractured family brought together for the first time in years for a wedding. Over that day, eight family members reflect on key moments in their lives. It is really about how people feel and how people respond to situations, said Kate. What I am really interested in is how humans relate to each other and how we can love each other even if we don't get on. The first draft of this family was written during 2020 and 2021, when the country was still in the grips of the pandemic. My daughter is three now, but was still very small at the time, and at the start of the pandemic, I was living with my parents and grandmother, said Kate. 
Living in a multi-generational family as I was, we all had different needs and opinions, definitely fed into this family. Kate said her first novel was a learning process which had informed her approach to this family. I have learned to trust myself that the story will find its right expression and that might not be in the first draft, said Kate. There were points during writing this family when it didn't feel right or true, but I was happy with the ideas. Then as I went through the edit, it became clearer and clearer. I think this family is the sort of writing where my heart lies. I am an observer of the everyday. I am interested in how events affect and shape us. Kate has already started writing her third book. I have to. I'm a single mum, said Kate. This family is published by Coronet on May the 11th. The popular Stowmarket supermarket cat Oscar has caused a social media debate following concerns over allergies. Oscar, also known as the Tesco Click and Collect cat, has been a regular visitor to the Tesco Superstore in Cedars Link Road. Despite his friendly nature and popularity with customers, an anonymous Facebook post in the Stowmarket Community Notice Board group has gained nearly 400 comments after a photo showed him sleeping on the chairs at the supermarket's Costa. The post said, Unpopular opinion, but I would really appreciate it if the staff at Tesco and Costa did not allow the cat in the store. As cute as people, as cute as people find him, for someone like myself with severe cat allergies, I, if I even sat on that chair he was on, I would be struggling to breathe within minutes and would be unwell for a good two days, despite taking all my meds. A member of staff from Costa has confirmed the photo of Oscar was taken after the shop was closed and that he's regularly removed straight away when he wanders in. However, customers have taken to the comment section to share their thoughts on whether Oscar should be allowed inside the shop or not. The consensus is very mixed, with some believing allergic shoppers should shop elsewhere as the cat brings them joy and is one of the main reasons they choose Tesco. One resident said, My partner has a bad allergy to cats, but we love coming to Tesco and seeing Oscar. He just keeps his distance and doesn't get too close. Oscar puts a smile on our face every time we see him. However, others have raised issues surrounding food hygiene and have said they would prefer Oscar to remain outside. A commentator added, I love cats, but apart from the allergies, it is not hygienic to allow animals in a food store. Would they let you take your dog in there? A Tesco spokesperson said, Oscar is a popular local feline and we know that many of our customers enjoy seeing him in the car park and foyer of our Stowmarket store. However, he is not allowed into the store itself. Since the social media debate, Suffolk illustrator Nisha Pearson has created an artistic expression of the controversy. It depicts Oscar wearing a Tesco shirt and holding a Costa cup next to a philosophical quote from Gandhi. A knitted King Charles created by an Ipswich woman will be raffled off to celebrate the coronation. The project has been created by Leslie Page and will be showcased at the Suffolk Food Hall in Worstead, just outside the town. Mrs Page, who is an office administrator at the venue, said she is pleased to finish her project, which took her about 50 hours to complete. 
I knitted the Queen for the Jubilee, and we le learned about the coronation, I had to look at patterns and found one I quite liked. I spoke to my colleagues, and they liked it too. I am pleased with how it turned out. It was fiddly at times, and I did wonder if I'd be able to finish it, but it's ready to go to the raffle now. The Knitted King is 34 centimetres tall from the base up to his crown. Mrs Page, 63, said that she spent many evenings and weekends working on the project and added that handcrafts are her big passion. She said, sewing, embroidery and knitting are my main hobbies. I've been knitting since I was a young child. My mother taught us all how to knit and sew. I find it very relaxing after a long day of work. Most of my knitting is for children and babies, but I don't mind making anything really, if only I've got a pattern to follow. The Knitted King Charles will be raffled off on Monday, April the 24th and will raise funds for Macmillan Cancer Support. Nick Punter of the Suffolk Food Hall added, The charity was chosen by our staff members. We are going to raffle at £1 a ticket. All money raised will go to the charity. We will start this raffle on Monday and choose on the coronation on the Monday after the coronation. A van belonging to a nationwide windscreen fitting company was stopped on the A14 on Wednesday and handed an ironic prohibition notice. The van near Bury St Edmunds was found to have a damaged windscreen. A police spokesman branded the incident ironic and a prohibition notice was issued. Hidden behind a popular Bury St Edmunds cinema, a tank is quietly collecting water to help the town bloom this summer. Berry and Bloom has unveiled a rainwater harvesting tank at Abbeygate Cinema in Hatter Street. Berry and Bloom's believes it is on track to become self-sufficient as it plans a second harvesting tank at Green King. Together, the tanks would take the amount of rainwater collected for the town's floral displays to 20,000 litres. David Irvine, retiring coordinator of Berry and Bloom, who instigated the scheme in 2021, described the tanks as a simple and low-cost solution with brilliant environmental gains. An additional larger tank is planned for Abbeygate Cinema, which would take the capacity to 30,000 litres. And now for some letters. The first one is from John Ward from Boxford. I read Mark Murphy's opinion piece, April 22nd, with interest and amusement. As a candidate in the forthcoming election in Baber, I have found that most common topic that residents want to discuss on the doorstep is the pothole problem, and so I can sympathise with Mr Murphy's idea of an anti-pothole party. Unfortunately, the elections this year are for district councils which have no responsibility for the roads. As Mr Murphy explained the week before, potholes are a matter for the county council and I'm sure, based on the evidence I have of residents' concerns, that this will be the major election issue for Suffolk County Council in two years' time. Inga Morris says via email, Firstly, I agree with Despina Stacey, letters April the 14th. I hardly ever got the A14, but when I did I could not believe the rubbish what do strangers think of us? Aren't the powers that be embarrassed? It's horrific and I've never seen anything as bad. Then there's the potholes. In the last couple of months, I have had four new tyres on my Volvo XC40. Three ripped and one from wear and tear. That's from going down the blasted holes. I feel sick driving to Newmarket from Wickenbrook 
down the Cheveley Road and out through Lydgate. Now Wickenbrook has huge holes too, by the cemetery. One was repaired recently, but it's back. When driving in Norfolk, I could not believe how few they have. I am now embarrassed living in Suffolk. Can anyone explain to me the reasons for all the potholes and rubbish? We do not look like a civilised country. Graham Day from Stowmarket writes, When on holiday in Wales in 2008 and staying in the Festiniog area, we chanced upon a poster advertising a concert by a local male voice choir in Bethy's Coed. We bought tickets on the door and attended the most unforgettable and harmonious concert, Real Entertainment. I then recalled that I had seen, we had seen a Welsh choir at Snape Maltings some years earlier, and I had always been fascinated by the choirs and how they were so much a part of the social fabric of rural and industrial communities in the Principality. However, male voice choirs, although not unknown, are something of a rarity in the eastern counties. My late father was for many years a member of the Waterside Works male voice choir in Ipswich. I have some memories when growing up of being taken to their concerts to watch my father sing. The choir existed from 1937 until, I believe, 1975. At the recent Ransoms and Rapier reunion, I was surprised to learn that the choir had performed at the old Hippodrome Theatre in St Nicholas Street, as all I could recall were concerts at Debenham and the annual industry church service, I believe, in Allen Road. Do any other readers have memories of seeing the choir perform at the Hippodrome or on any other occasion? Maggie Keeley says via email, I've just read an article on your online news feed about West Suffolk Hospital's food rating. I'm very disappointed that it seems to rely on patient surveys to assess the service and quality. People in the NHS care should be grateful that they get everything for free in hospitals, including meals. If they're not happy with the quality of the food, they should organise their own. I've had two three-day stays in West Suffolk Hospital and was surprised at the choice of food offered. I didn't expect a restaurant-type meal or service and found the food perfectly edible. I don't usually write to news services about stuff, but this article made me angry and some people just like to complain about everything. I think the people that organise and supply food and services to the NHS should be thanked not criticised. The other afternoon, my wife and I watched a showing of the superb, emotional and thought-provoking film Alleluia at Haverhill Arts Centre. The storyline is set in a small cottage hospital used for the elderly and truly shows the ups and downs of life within. An NHS advisor was initially trying to have the hospital closed because it was deemed financially unsustainable. By watching this film, I think you will be moved to see how the caring nursing staff, except for one, demonstrate the value of small hospitals, convalescent homes, are for gentlefolk towards the end of their lives. What has our local NHS done for us of a certain age? Two small local hospitals closed down, no convalescent homes that I know of to assist with the care of the 20% of hospital patients that need no further treatment. I do not like the term bed blockers. It is not their fault. There is nowhere to help them regain their strength and mobility. I know of no other way of, of showing the pressure on our NHS doctors and nurses are under than the final, final sequence of this excellent film. Please take the trouble to see it. 
Louise Yelverton from Felixstowe writes, Our future councillors need to prioritise improving our streets in the upcoming term to help people choose cleaner and healthier ways to travel. The benefits of people walking more are plentiful, from increased physical activity and better health to reduced congestion and cleaner air. Ahead of local elections and National Walking Month this May, walking charity Living Streets has set out seven steps to create better places for walking in their blueprint for change. Steps include maintaining pavements, improving pedestrian crossings and investing in public transport. All these measures can make walking a safer and more attractive option and help bring our communities and streets to life. It's time to give walking the priority it deserves. Owen Wilson from Bacton writes, Surely, if I'm unable to vote or register my inability to vote under this new photo ID voting scheme, I'm also unable to pay my taxes. Strangely, the tax office seems to know who I am and is possibly less forgiving where one's dues are pending. Colin Rossini from Dovercourt writes, Pertaining to Blackpool Zoo's vacancy for a pantomime eagle as a seagull deterrent, is it destiny that Dominic Raab is suddenly available? <laughs> News that youngsters took to the sky above Berries and Edmonds for an exhilarating flight experience got people tapping away at their keyboards. Jill Parkins said, Wow, what an opportunity for the cadets. Such a shame to be losing a facility that both young and old can benefit from. I love watching the little planes buzz around. Victoria Jane Wilson added, So sad they are being evicted. Where else in the local area are young people going to get this chance again? Oh look, more supermarkets to, the, to be built, no doubt. Barry Peters, editor of the Berry Free Press, writes, I look back now to the turn of the century and remember with fondness when I met Horry Parsons. Horry was project manager for the scheme to build a tower for the millennium at St Edmundsbury Cathedral. Looking back now at pictures of the cathedral before the tower, there's a sense of an unfinished symphony, greatness just waiting to happen, and Horry was one of the men who transformed the skyline of one Suffolk town. I was ushered onto a rickety and makeshift lift by the new dean, James Atwell, and up we went, hard hat shining in the sun. Work had only just started, and it was quite difficult to envisage what was to come. What was clear was that the workmanship and expertise on display was awe-inspiring, and something the future king would remark on when he paid several visits to check on progress. Fast forward to a tower tour I enjoyed, well worth an hour of your time, and the majestic splendour of the painstaking work was brought sharply into focus. We often talk of legacy. Sometimes it means very little coming out of the mouth of a footballer, a politician or businessman. But when people mention the name Horry Parsons of Lakenheath in years to come, now there's a real Suffolk legacy we can all be proud of. This letter leads into the following feature. With a bricklayer's trowel in his hand and a broad grin on his face, the future king is clearly in his element and having a wonderful time. But what was the reason for the outburst of royal laughter when the Prince of Wales laid the first bricks in St Edmundsbury Cathedral's tower? The man at his side on that day, project manager Harry Parsons, 
recalls an event very far from the pomp and ceremony that will surround the coronation of the king and queen on May the 6th. Enthusiasm for the task had just led to His Royal Highness, who was enjoying himself so much he was keen to lay an extra brick, splatting himself with lime mortar. And the mishap reminded him of an episode of The Goon Show, where a character fell into a cement mixer. Today, the 150-foot tower, the crowning glory of the Cathedral Millennium Project, is the outstanding landmark of the Brazen Embed skyline. It also stands as the most visible and iconic reminder of the King's connections with Suffolk. He became patron of the Millennium Project, completion of the plans to transform the former St James Church into Suffolk's Cathedral, when it began to take shape in 1998. With the Prince's love of great architecture and craftsmanship well known, his keen interest continued all through the project, with visits in 2001, 2003, 5 and 2011. He called the tower, which was designed to last 1,000 years, a spiritual beacon for the millennium. At its completion, he wrote, As the work has been unveiled, it has been clearly seen as something beautiful for the glory of God. The craftsmanship has most certainly been inspiring. From the visionary drawing of the plans and the stunning concept through to the shaping of the stone, the laying of the bricks and the placing of the flint, it has been a work of dedication and commitment. There has been a real sense of doing the trust and the best for its own sake, but also for something greater and more profound than the human ego that is in itself spiritual and godly. Something in our midst that lifts our spirits and speaks of faith will surely inspire our own generation and generations to come to strive for what is good, true and beautiful. The £12 million Millennium Project, which also included chapels and cloisters, was made possible partly by a legacy from Stephen Dykes Bower, the cathedral's architect for 45 years, who left £2 million towards the completion of the building. A grant of more than £5 million was given by the Millennium Commission to finish the work, and fundraising brought in the rest of the money. When the job went out to tender in 1998, Horry Parsons had been working for Sindel Construction in Cambridge for close on 50 years and was about to retire. Having started as an apprentice carpenter, Horry, from a family of Lake and Heath-based builders, was by then a highly experienced project manager. When this job came up for pricing in 1998, I just handed in my notice to retire a few years early, he says. Having spent my working life in Cambridge and Hertfordshire but being Suffolk-born, I thought this could be my swan song in Suffolk. Sindels won the contract against three other bidders. He remembers informal early meetings with architects Hugh Matthew and Warwick Peathers, who had both worked with Stephen Dykes Bower. At first they worked out of the kitchen in Warwick Peathers' cottage. We'd be sharing the kitchen table with his children's breakfast things. Horry, who lives in Lakenheath with his wife Susan, first met Prince Charles when he came to the cathedral to lay the symbolic first brick in the tower in July 2001. As with all his visits to the town, the prince was greeted by excited crowds. We were just about to start physically building the tower, said Horry. That's why we asked him to lay the first brick. For every royal visit, you have a tremendous number of meetings with the palace, local police going over every detail. 
Our programme was for a 50-minute visit. It was a public visit, so he was also due to meet local dignitaries. As it was a site visit, I was responsible for his health and safety. So the visit was timed and carefully planned. We allowed him six minutes to lay the first brick. David Peacock, our senior bricklayer, was to help him. David gave him the shiny trowel produced for the occasion, then said, No, you can't lay it with that, and brought out an old, specially adapted bricklayer's trowel instead. He then went on to practically give him an apprenticeship, explaining everything about it, and Prince Charles really did enjoy it. He turned to me and said, This is very good. I've done a hedge-laying course, but I've never done a brick-laying course. After ten minutes of training, David thought he would trust the prince to lay the brick. Then as he turned away, David said, Would you like to lay another one, sir? And he turned back and said, Yes, please. David gave him the trowel, and he had the heap of lime mortar ready, expecting him to just scoop some up. But he gave it a whack with the trowel, and it went all over his suit. Straight away, the prince recalled the day Bloodnock, a character in his favourite goon show, fell in a cement mixer and finished up a hard case. I'll be a hard case now, he quipped. In the end, the supposed 50-minute visit lasted more than two hours, Horry recalls. Prince Charles returned to the building project in June 2003. Again, the visit lasted longer than planned and felt relaxed as he toured the site chatting to craftsmen such as flintknappers and stonemasons. By this time, cindals had been bought by Bluestone Construction. The first thing he noticed, said Horry, was a change of name on their hard hats. The second thing he said to me was, I expect you relayed the bricks. I, I said, no, sir, they are exactly where you laid them, and we didn't touch them again. He said, I thought you would have relayed them because I know they replant the trees. That was an indication of how friendly he was. He stayed right by me and chatted all the way round. He was the same with people all around the site. This time it was pouring with rain. I offered to hold an umbrella for him, but he said, no, that's what my left hand's for. One of the main groups of people he was insistent on seeing was the apprentices. He was always very interested in them and chatted with them at length. He asked one bricklayer if he was a stonemason, and he said, no, I'm one of the unsung heroes, I'm just a bricklayer. And the prince mentioned the unsung heroes in his speech at the reception afterwards. He took on board what you were saying and really listened. He was basically a really nice human being. The tower was finished in 2005, and in July that year, Charles made another visit to attend the service celebrating its completion. It was three months after his wedding to Camilla, and the Duchess of Cornwall came with him. Horry, who now helps to train cathedral tour guides, recalls the prince pointing out to his wife the spot on the tower where he had laid the bricks. A service in the cathedral was followed by an event on Angel Hill, where he was reintroduced to people who had taken part in the project, as well as seeing exhibits by other Suffolk enterprises. Horry's granddaughter Zoe and Sophie, then aged nine and seven, presented flowers to Camilla. He recalls much royal laughter when his great-grandmother, Leah, who was there, tried to grab the posy back from the Duchess. The prince, says, the prince returned to the cathedral in 2011 to see the magnificent oak-vaulted ceiling that had been installed under the tower. At the reception afterwards, he rem reminisced with Horry 
who had come out of retirement to supervise the work. We've been involved a long time, haven't we? Perhaps the final word should go to King Charles, who was delighted that training was such a key part of the whole project. He wrote, This will provide, among other benefits, a rare opportunity for the exercise of craft skills in stone and flint, which will leave lasting evidence from our generations of human creativity and endeavour. I am delighted that by providing opportunities for apprenticeships and the training of students, the completion of St Emmonsbury Cathedral will be helping to ensure that these rare and invaluable skills are passed on to future generations. Memories of Earning Coppers Born in 1947, David Hoggett recounts some of his memories of his early life in Bury St Edmunds. St Edmunds Place was a cul-de-sac, with a small memorial at one end to men from there that died in World War I. Our house only had two bedrooms, my five sisters had one, and I shared the other with my parents for the early part of my life. The place opened onto Cannon Square, Frewer's Bakery, Phillips Hairdressers, Smith's Grocery Shop, Hivert's Fish and Chip Shop and St Evans Head, Acker, the Cannon Brewery were all here. I was about ten when I started earning pennies by running errands for Brayfields and Boutons, both butchers. However, my biggest earner was collecting the Christmas Club money from about seven houses on a Monday night. The Cannon ran it all year long and I got the interest from it. The money came in handy for the pictures, watching Berry Town and getting the Greenan for the football reports. I also collected beer and Vimto bottles to get back the deposits when they were returned. With a couple of mates I would go carol singing sometimes outside the pubs, but the landlord of the Red Lion made us sing inside. A hat pass ran for our efforts. We thought we were millionaires. In the summer I helped mum fruit picking, but always ate more than I picked. I liked going with her to the railway station to see the animals come off the train and herded up St Andrew Street to the market. Also going down to the Abbey Gardens to see the brass band play there. That led me to play the boodle in the boys' brigade. One thing you had to do in September was to start building your bonfire ready for Guy Fawkes night. The bigger the better. In those days, nearly all the kids went to Sunday school. I went to the Lathbury Institute in Church Row. Who would ever have thought I would help convert it into a private house 50 years later when I was a bricklayer? We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Jill, Nick, Liz and Colin, it's goodbye. Goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. 
You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedensburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.